Good morning. Welcome to Lifestone. I've got my assistant over here. Hey, wait, hold on. I'm going to ask Cooper to grab this vase. Can you help me out with that? Thanks, man. You got the table, buddy? All right. We're going to, uh, you know what? Let's put it, yeah, I don't know. Oh, hey, you guys are here. So uh, we're so glad that you're here. Thank you, uh, worship team, for leading us. Thanks, man. That's for later. Don't be distracted by this. Hey, I'm Pastor Ben. If you're new here, um, this is pretty typical, I guess. I was going to say, this isn't normal. Uh, But we're glad you're here. If you didn't get a chance to go by the new here place in the lobby, please go by there. And to our people, um, there is an incredible opportunity happening tomorrow night. And uh, we've got uh, a, a bunch of ladies signed up for a women's study. Um, it's on friendship and, and what the Bible has to say about that. Um, and then there's a men's study that we're doing, and I, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be really good. My friend Adam is helping lead that. Um, where's Adam at? Adam was here, maybe. No, yes. And, uh, and then we have another study that you guys saw the preview to uh, in the very beginning, What on Earth Am I Here For? And, and that study has really helped so many people. It's been just a significant spiritual growth marker for a lot of people in their lives. So we just encourage you to be a part of that. It's this real short little six, seven-week thing that we're doing starting tomorrow night. Now, here's what's happened in the past. All the ladies are responsible and sign up and come. And the guys, not so much. And even one time, we, like, we had such few guys sign up for the guys thing that we just said, well, I guess it didn't make it. The class didn't make it. We're just going to have to cancel it. We only had a couple guys kind of sign up and, eh, you know. And then the night of, all you stinking guys showed up. And, like, all these guys showed up. And we're like, oh, crud, we canceled it. And so... Um, I just encourage you to, if you're interested in that, it is a great opportunity to connect with other people here, grow in scripture. We have free childcare. We do just charge you to cover the cost of the material, the book. Um, one of them, the men's things free. Um, and, uh, so please guys be a part of that and sign up today. Go to our website, lifestonechurch.net and go to events and sign, sign up for that. Well, Hey guys, today we are celebrating baptism. And we will celebrate a baptism at the very end of this service. We had a couple in the last service. We had a baptism last week. Um, uh, you'll be glad to know, Zima, that the baptistry heater is fixed. So the water's not freezing like it was last week. Um, but we'll celebrate that at the end. I want to share with you, we're going to take a, a week break from Romans. And I want to share with you more about baptism. We schedule baptisms every other month, the first Sunday of every other month. And we schedule that because we found that that encourages people, if it's on the calendar, to, to encourages more people to be a part and sign up. But on many occasions, people have come up and said, hey, I want to get baptized, and I just want to do it as soon as possible, or, or this you know, time works for us. And so sometimes we'll, we'll do them at other times. But every time we schedule one, uh, people come up to me and they have questions about baptism. What is baptism? How does this thing work? Why do we do it? Who can do it? What's the right way? Um, What do I need to do to get baptized? And so I'm going to run through this morning a few things on what the Bible has to say about this. And what I'm going to try to do is answer the questions 
that are very common that I get on a regular basis about baptism. Okay? Are you guys excited about a message on baptism? I'm feeling it from Sadie. Okay. The rest of you, I'm not sure. Well, I'm going to pray and we're going to jump into scripture. God, we love you. We thank you for a chance to, to, that you've given us to, to come on this beautiful day and to worship you and to connect with you and to connect with other people. God, I pray as we open up and look at your word that your truth would uh, change the way we think about things if we need to change things or just encourage us about your truth and, and uh, where we stand uh, with you if we put our faith and trust in Jesus. And uh, God, just guide us today. and We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Right off the bat, one of my things with baptism that I think causes confusion is baptism is a transliteration in the Bible. And what in the world does that mean? It means that we took a word in Greek in the New Testament, and that's where we're, we're going to talk about uh, this concept of baptism. So the whole New Testament, the original language it's written in is Greek. And um, when we translate that into English... Uh, we've taken the word baptism, and instead of just translating it into what it means, we've kept it a, a English version of that word. And that's what a transliteration is. It's not just a translation. Um, let me give you an example of what this is uh, and, and why this is important. I have a daughter. I've got two daughters. And my, my youngest daughter, my middle daughter, or wait, she's not my middle daughter. She's our middle child, which she reminds us of. She's like, I need more attention because I'm the middle child and you guys forget me, <laughs> which isn't true. How could you forget cares? She is like our own personal chef at the Helton home. It is awesome. This girl cooks for us last night. She made me salmon. Uh, I was telling my friend Sean about it last night. I think it's the best salmon I've ever had. It was awesome. And uh, she cooked a homemade apple pie, all this stuff. So she's always cooking for us. It's maybe dangerous information to share. I don't know if there will be expectations for... Anyways, a couple nights ago, she made a pork chop. Right, honey? She's like, don't point me out in the service. We've talked about this. (laughs) And she uh, put it in not a marinade. I'm learning with all you fancy foodie people. A brine. Is that right, honey? <laughs> okay. It was, it was soaking and submerged in a brine for a, a couple days, I think. One of them was. Um, and it was an applesauce, like, seasoned thing or apple juice, something, right? I'm getting stuff wrong. But, anyways, this thing was baptized in this brine in the refrigerator for a time. And, and that's what we, we sit there and go, what? Baptized? That's exactly what it means. That's exactly the terminology that you would use if you were speaking Greek. You would say, well, how do you make pickles? And if you spoke Greek, you would say, well, you baptize a cucumber in vinegar. That's what the word means. And we've, we've attached and we've caused some confusion that every time we see and use this baptizo is the, the Greek word, and we, we say baptism or baptize in, in the Bible, sometimes all we think about is a ceremony that we call baptism. 
And, um, and so it confuses us sometimes when, it, well, it's talking about being baptized in the Spirit and that Jesus baptized. Well, hey, Jesus didn't baptize anyone as far as the ceremony that we get to celebrate today again, which is awesome. Um, so that's, that's some, that'll come into play in some verses that we, we look at this morning. But, but one of the, the, the biggest things that I think is important to know when we look at baptism is that we do not add anything to what Jesus has done to think that we add a religious ceremony or ritual to make ourselves right with God. That Jesus has done everything necessary to make ourselves right with God. Paul ran into very religious-minded people who had a religious background who had a hard time um, fully embracing this concept that they didn't need to fulfill rituals and things in their religion to be right with God. Because that was their understanding. That's their mindset. That's how a lot of people view Christianity, which is very sad. That's not Christianity. Christianity is radically different. That Jesus has done everything necessary to make us right with God. That we are actually enabled. That all of our righteous deeds, uh, the Bible says, are like filthy rags. Because they're tainted with our own fallenness, our sinfulness, our rebellion. Everything good we try to do, it, it doesn't meet the standard. The perfect, glorious, perfect standard of God. And so what did God do? Something unthinkable and incredible. He did what's necessary for us to be right with him. When every other approach and religion in the world is how do we come up with a system to be right with God, God knows that nothing is, is, is going to measure up to his standard. And so he had this incredible plan all along to come down to us, not us trying to get to God through our works and religion, but come to us and do what was necessary to make ourselves right with him. All right, that's Christianity. Many of you guys know that. But how specifically Paul, we've been going through the book of Romans. He wrote Romans and he wrote almost two-thirds of the New Testament. But Paul had such a, a deep understanding of, of what Jesus accomplished in the Christian faith that God uses him and I think supernaturally gives him this wisdom and this truth to share this what Christianity is, and he, guess what, would come across churches and teachers who would try to add things to the Christian message and basically turn it right back into any other religion. Here's a system, and it just has a Christian label on it, and somehow Jesus is a part of the system. And there have been, in Christian history, a lot of people and groups thinking that, that, that baptism is like a religious ceremony that we do to, that adds to or is necessary to be right with God. And, and I'm going to read Galatians 1 because Paul comes across a group who they aren't dealing with baptism, they're dealing with circumcision. And circumcision being this sign that you are under the um, covenant of God and that you're God's people and that's, hey, if, if here's something that God requires for us to try to be right with him is you got to be circumcised. Well, coming from a Jewish tradition, that was just so ingrained in their thinking. They actually, this group that we're about to see Paul address, they accepted Jesus. They said, we like Jesus. We accept him as Messiah. We, we are, we're, we're trying to preach and proclaim him. But surely 
we still have to get circumcised and follow all these other things that the Old Testament and the Jewish religion had. And Paul, being a very faithful Jew and knew all where their perspective was coming from, was so frustrated. He even, I would argue that he drops some like uh, salty language <laughs> in some of his response to, to this because he's so broken hearted that people would take this incredibly, completely new, different thing that God has done through Jesus that is the Christian faith and then try to turn it back into stinking old religion. Boo! And so, Galatians 1, he's dealing with these people who are preaching circumcision and Jesus. And he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Gospel is another one of those transliterations in a weird way that kind of drives me crazy. Gospel just means good news. This incredible good news of what God has done through Jesus. You're turning to a different good news, a different gospel, which is really no good news at all. No gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And we have already said, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you've accepted, let them be under God's curse. So Paul is throwing down like horrible consequences for people who would take this amazing thing that God has done. Number one, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But you can completely mess up that equation. There's only one way to get that equation. Jesus plus anything else does not equal the Christian faith. That is what Paul would fight and put his life on the line for. And, that's, and I say Paul not to say he's, he, God uses him to share God's truth and, and God's word. And so right off the bat, uh, what is this thing called? Baptism is awesome. It's a wonderful celebration. That's why we get so excited to, to, to have them and to celebrate these things. But in no way, shape, or form should we think that it's some kind of necessary uh, ceremony that we do that adds to just simply trusting and having faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. Um, it's not, well, let me phrase it this way. How much a percent do you trust in what Jesus has done? Or how much of it has he accomplished? You know, even if it's like, well, Jesus hanging on the cross, giving his life, resurrection, death, burial, everything he did, that's 99%. And then there's this 1% that we got to kick in and we got to like, and, and here's where we turn Christianity into a religious, any other religion. We can just say, well, 1% is what we do. And then we could say, here's all the 1% stuff. You got to get baptized. You got to tithe. You got to, here's a bunch of stuff you, you can't do. And here's stuff you can, you know, you should do. You got to share Jesus with 10 people before you die. You got to, you know, offer your vacation home to your pastor. <laughs> well, that one's right. So write that down. Add a point to your program. No. 
And what we do is even if we think it's a small portion of the Christian faith, if we view it incorrectly, we kind of nullify all of it. Because we'll turn that 1% into this effort-based thing. It's all about me. We're trusting in what we do, how we perform, if we've checked the boxes that we're supposed to do. And so I I know I'm making this point um, longer than uh, one point should be with five in there. But anyways, let's look at 1 Corinthians 1, 13 through 14. Um, And this is Paul addressing the next issue that I want to talk about. And it's who should baptize and how do you have the authority to baptize. And really the root of that, I think, is maybe a misunderstanding of baptism. Because if it's required, even 1%, to be a Christian or whatever, well, we better make sure we get it right, right? We better make sure the right person's doing it. We better make sure that that water's like the right kind of water. Did we like bless it or is it holy or something? Um, Is this the right setting in order to do the baptism correctly? Are you the right people that should observe it? Do we say the right words when we baptize? Do we do the actual baptism the right way? Is the person... Uh, is it okay if they're only dunked half an inch under the water? Should they be dunked five inches under the water? What if they didn't get all dunked? <gasps> we better redo that thing, you know, and then make sure everything's right. And you see what happens is when we misunderstand that it's just a ceremony and a celebration and a picture, then we, we start to attach and worry about how it's done also, including who does it. Um, and so Paul addresses this in a church that, that wanted to make it a big deal who baptized them. And in uh, chapter 1, verse 13, has Christ been divided into factions? Because it was actually splitting the church up and causing division. Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except uh, Crispus and Gaius, for no one can say they were baptized in my name. And so he's really saddened that people are misunderstanding what baptism's all about. And people are puffing themselves up with pride. Like, I mean, you may have had Apollos baptize you, an early church leader, but I had Paul baptize me. And there's started like, it's like they almost broke into denominations early on. Like, we're the Paul baptized people, we're the Apollos baptized people, you know. Um, and, and Paul's like, that doesn't matter. It matters who you were baptized in the name of and what it was symbolizing. And, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't hang on a cross for you. And then I love, it goes on in verse 16. Paul has a senior moment. And I love that scripture is honest and true and faithful. Um, it says, Paul says, oh yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. But I don't remember baptizing anyone else as he's going through the list. I think he's so hot. I mean, I don't know. Is that a good word? Like, he's so brokenhearted. It's, it's, it's a righteous anger. It's, he is frustrated, but it's based on him being brokenhearted over a misunderstanding of the gospel, of the good news, that he forgets other people he's baptized. And then he kind of settles down and he's like, Oh, yeah, I baptized some other people there, but there were probably hundreds of people baptized in the Corinthian church. And, um, and he's like, that's who baptized you. That, that doesn't matter. So who should we have baptized people? Um, 
Number two, who has the authority to baptize? Jesus does. And, and you're not going to get baptized by Jesus. You're going to get baptized, first of all, it's just a picture, but it's going to be based on and a pointing to and celebrating Jesus and what he has done. And he actually does, in a, I think kind of a clear way, give, talk about authority and baptism in the Great Commission as he leaves. So let's look at what that says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Again, a passage, we have so many, that points to who he is, the nature of Jesus, that he's God. Who has all authority in heaven and on earth? Only one being, and that's God himself. And so he says, I have that kind of authority. And then he gives specific instructions to his who his disciples, um, it's his 11 disciples. One of them betrayed Jesus, of course, and, and went and hung himself, Judas. So he's not there at this moment. This is Jesus before he ascends into heaven. This is after the, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And then he's seen by hundreds and hundreds of witnesses, the resurrected Jesus. And, uh, before, and then he just ascends into heaven. And before he does that... This is what he leaves them with. To go, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which I think he is making sure that the foundation of the proclamation of people who are saying yes to Jesus identify and recognize the nature of God in doing this. And then he says, then what do you do? You teach them to obey everything Obey all the commands I have given you. And, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so who does Jesus give the authority to baptize? His disciples. And, and you know, again, we don't, oh, well, okay, the, all those dudes are dead. Um, what is a disciple? A disciple is simply a follower of Jesus. And so uh, we think it's pretty clear that, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus... You can baptize someone. So here at Lifestone, we allow you to baptize if you've proclaimed that, yeah, the, uh, the Jesus of Scripture, I'm a follower of his. We'd love for you to baptize anyone who you've had, you know, uh, spiritual influence on to help point them to Jesus. And so that's our answer for that. Number three, the good news is received by faith, not ceremonies. You know, we've, I've mentioned we, we're walking through Book of Romans. Romans chapter 3, I think, could not be any more clear. And then it's really repetitive. That we are right with God. We're worthy before God. We're righteous in His sight. We have the righteousness of Jesus credited to us by faith and faith alone. Not by a ceremony, not faith and adding a ceremony. Um, Ephesians 2.8, uh, another verse that that we've probably looked at a lot here at Lifestone. God saved you by the grace, by his grace, when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Um, and so what we run across, too, in the Christian tradition is uh, some <clears throat> misunderstanding of also what can happen at baptism. Like, okay, if it's just a celebration of what has already happened... There are also people who would say, here's what happens at baptism. This gift of the Holy Spirit that we see come upon 
uh, his followers in Acts. That actually happens when you're baptized. That's, that's, God, that's how God does it. And that's why baptism, you know, and then we start. And then, and then we can run into the same things. Well, uh-oh, we better make sure that baptism is done correctly so that we receive the, the Holy Spirit correctly. Uh, but Acts 10.47 seems to refute that idea that, that it's actually a ceremony in which you receive the Holy Spirit. Because Paul says, can anyone object to their being baptized? And he's talking about this group of people. Um, now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. So he ran into a group of people. They heard about the Messiah and Jesus. They trusted in him. And the Holy Spirit came into their life. And it was evident enough for Paul to recognize that these people have trusted Jesus and, and they have the Holy Spirit. And, but they'd never gone through the ceremony of baptism. And so Paul says, well, man, they've already received the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't they be able to be baptized as well? Um, and so it's not, again, that just points out that that's not something what, that baptism is for. Um, John 3, 5 through 7 says, Jesus answered. Now this, let me set this up a little bit. Uh, this is Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Nicodemus is, is kind of a prominent leader. Um, and he wants to come and ask Jesus, this person who's having incredible influence. Tens of thousands of people are coming to hear him teach and preach and do miracles. And, and he's coming at night going, man, I, I want to know more about this. And, and he's asking him, how are you... How do you become a part of the kingdom of God? And, and this is where we get the, the maybe, I think most people would agree, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. As Jesus is describing, here's how you're born again. Um, and, and so right before that, as, as Jesus is explaining this, in John 3, 5 through 7, uh, Jesus answered and said, Verily, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of and the spirit. Flesh, and then, let me pause there. It's already up on the screen. Don't read it. No one look at the screen right now. No one think of a pink elephant. Yeah, right? That never works. Okay, let's keep reading it. Um, flesh gives birth to flesh. So Jesus answers exactly what he's referring to when he says someone must be born of water and be born of the Spirit to be in the kingdom of God. But so many people throughout Christian history have used this passage to say that Jesus is preaching that you must be baptized in order to be in the kingdom of God or to be saved. And there's no way Jesus could be talking about that because he defines what water is and what he's pointing to. He, he reiterates his point in verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. So what he's talking about is, and, and Nicodemus, he's like, he's, he knows exactly what Jesus is talking about because he starts saying, wait a minute, I got to be born again. Does that mean I have to like somehow be in my mother again and be born again? <laughs> like he's really confused, right? And Jesus is walking through this. No, 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 we're not talking about a physical birth. And when he says someone must be born of water, and it was a common saying then, and if you know about the pregnancy process and the childbirthing process, the baby is in water for nine months in development. 
And then the water breaks, right? And the, and the child is born. And so that, 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 was, that terminology was common to the, to the, um, uh, the culture then. And, and Jesus clearly defines what it is. Nicodemus is clear on what Jesus is talking about because he mentions, okay, how's this work, Jesus? And so what Jesus is saying is you cannot be right with God in your own flesh. That just on your own ability, like I'm going to try to just be really moral. I'm going to try. You know what? I've got this kind of ancestry. I've got this kind of background. And so this will make me right with God. Jesus says, no, your own being born of the flesh, born of water, that is not going to bring you into the kingdom of God. You have to be born again. And how do you do that? It's a time and time again. And then he goes to John 3.16, that you believe uh, and, and, and just belief or faith or trust in Jesus is what gives you eternal life. All right? So, so that's a, if you ever hear teaching or are confused when people try to say Jesus is using, he's not talking about baptism at all. Acts 2.38. Let's move quicker. Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is a passage often pointed out by people. You know what? You've got, that's the formula. And those are the things you have to do. You have to repent. And you have to, um, what is the formula? <laughs> repent of your sins. Turn to God and be baptized. But if you're not baptized, you're missing one of those three steps. Now, putting your faith in Jesus, you, to, to put your faith in Jesus, you're understanding you're not trusting yourself, which then means that you, you, you recognize you fall short and that you're repenting and saying, I, uh, I don't measure up and I have been rebellious and I have been sinful and not done it God's way. And so I'm putting my trust in Jesus, not myself. So that is simply just putting your trust in Jesus. But then it says, doesn't it say in this passage that you have to be baptized also for the forgiveness of your sins? And it's simply as simple as if this was the only passage we had addressing baptism and forgiveness, then we might have to go, wait a minute. Hmm, that might be a pretty valid point. But we have so many other verses. And we just we talked about Romans chapter three, Ephesians two, eight and nine that point out that it is faith alone and there's never a mention of baptism. We have, we have real-life examples beyond teaching of the criminal on the cross putting his trust and faith in Jesus, and he's hanging on a cross, has the, no ability to be baptized. And Jesus says, based on your faith in me, this guy's mocking me, making fun of me, rejecting me on one side, and this guy's saying, you're who you say you are. You're the son of God. And, and what does Jesus tell him? Today you'll be with me. And so we see a real-life example that baptism is not a part of the equation of being right with God. And so what is, is this just a phrasing thing? It is. When you look at um, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, uh, another good, probably I think a better way to interpret that is um, in light of. That word for is a Greek word that can that, that it can also easily be translated because or in light of. And so if you read it in that way, that God has done this, turn to God uh, and be baptized in light 
or I'm sorry, in the name of Jesus Christ in light of the forgiveness of your sins. And the reason that translation makes sense, and you can even read it that way, how, it's, how this translation we have up there and many of yours that you might have, um, is all the tenses line up with someone has been forgiven. And so, hey, you've already been forgiven. Like, do this thing that Jesus asked forgiven people to do, which is be baptized to show other people what Jesus has done for you. Does that make sense? That one I'm worried about and I got no response. Awesome. Okay, number four, baptism doesn't cause something. It celebrates something. Man, the the band was so energetic, which was awesome. You guys did a great job. That now you guys have no energy, huh? (laughs) Boo. Okay, so... um, Baptism doesn't cause something, it celebrates something. Number five, we'll move quick. Baptism is a picture of Jesus in us and us in Jesus. Jackson, I need you back up here. Come here. It's a beautiful picture. I want to show you because we talk about a picture of it washing away sins. We talk about it being, uh, can you grab that picture, buddy, without spilling it like I would? Show, Show him the Helton muscles. Yeah. Wait, wait. I still need you, buddy. Come here. He said over here. <laughs> My kids just love this. Baptism is a beautiful picture of us in Christ. Okay, can you hold the mic so people can hear me? Thanks, buddy. Us in Christ, but also, I said that backwards. Christ in us, and that's how we usually refer to it. I have Jesus in my heart. You know, I'm a believer. I have Jesus in my heart. The Bible actually six times more talks about us being in Christ. And that's this beautiful picture. And here's a, here's a good illustration. That we're in Christ, we're the bottle. But Christ is also in us, and we're in him. It's both. See how much of a mess I can make. Don't laugh at me, Jackson. You'll hurt my feelings. Nah, I'm fine. <laughs> Jackson. He's losing it. And then this beautiful thing happens, okay? (laughs) Son, let's tighten up. All right. You're in Christ. You put your trust in Jesus. You're in Christ. Christ is in you. And the Holy Spirit seals you in God. And, And that's what Scripture teaches us that the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption, hides us. The other terms that we get is that God hides us, that there's nothing that can take us out of the grip of God's hand, such security. (laughs) He runs away. Thanks, buddy. I'll just do some one-handed action up here. I forgot. And the other picture we get is... um, in the first century, and people trying to research where did baptism come from and how did people view it back then? And, and one of the, um, uh, one of the, the it's, it's debated, but, but a lot of people believe that, that people viewed when they were seeing baptism, it was like dyeing cloth. And, and when you dyed cloth back then, um, the, the highest level, the most expensive cloth that you could get was only reserved for royalty, and it was purple. And so um, this purple cloth was created not by going to Walmart and buying purple dye, 
But it was a painstaking process of taking these tiny little shells on the seashore, Sally on the seashore, taking tiny shells and, no. And you'd crush these little shells to make this purple dye, and then, and then they would dip uh, the, the garments, which were usually just linen, you know, very plain, um, but, but that would be, an, uh, you know, a very extravagant thing to have your, your clothing dyed purple, especially. That was reserved for royalty. And, and they saw um, a picture of baptism of taking something plain and ordinary and having it submerged in something. Come on, die. Yeah, that didn't work real well. Um, having it submerged in something that, uh, that would change the nature of it, completely change what it was and how valuable it was. And uh, this is what the Bible describes what happens to us in Christ, that when we put our trust and faith in Christ, we're given a priesthood. A, we're, we become a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's very own possession. And so it's this beautiful picture that may have had a little bit more meaning even to the people in the first century who were practicing it. Um, and, and the last thing there, baptism into Christ himself is what saves. And I go back to my original point from the very beginning. And, and I'm going to ask the band to come on up and try not to spill my mess up here. I hope I'm not in your way. But as, as they come up and we celebrate this last song and then don't leave, we're going to have one, one last thing, a baptism, is that the terminology of, of being baptized sometimes doesn't refer to this ceremony. And let me give you an example. In, in John one thirty three. John the Baptist is talking. He's Jesus' earthly cousin. And uh, he says, I didn't know he was born, he was the one... But when God sent me to baptize, John had this, this different ministry of baptizing for a, a showing that people were repenting, setting them up to show that they needed a Savior, not that they were just good because they were Jewish. Um, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and rest is the one whom will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so that is the baptism and, and yeah, well, I, that's not the ceremony that we do here in water because Jesus never baptized anybody. But it says here's what really is significant and what really matters is that Jesus, you have said yes to Jesus, this offer, this free gift that he gives, and that he in turn shows that, that, that you are his child, that you've been adopted, that you're in him, he's in you, that he's turned you into a royal priesthood, a holy nation, all these things that we talk about. Um, the Holy Spirit confirms those things in your life as God's presence, the Bible said, lives inside of you. And God does this transplant of taking a hardened heart against him and, and towards things against him and gives you a new heart, gives you his heart. And so if you've never done that, that's what's important. And then if you've done that, we got this thing that we do to celebrate and show other people a picture, a shadow of what that really is.